Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hello, Royfield here. Before we start, we have a new advertiser. Now, before some of you go, ugh, and fast forward a couple of minutes, um, please lend me your ears, because this is important, because it helps to keep the lights on around here and pay some bills. And this advertiser is also very different. Knowledge of the classics is back in style. You know, it's people like those philosopher authors, people like Homer and Cicero and Spinola, and some of the moderns like Nietzsche as well. Online Great Books is designed to help you to develop a regular habit of reading the great works of Western culture. With weekly reading goals, reading reminders, accountability tools and a dedicated community of fellow readers, they can help you keep on track and schedule with your reading. OnlineGreatBooks.com has a reading goal system that is designed to help you to progress through reading and the comprehension of the great books with just three one-hour reading sessions each week. Every month, they select for you an edition of one of the great books, and they will send it directly to your home. They begin with Homer, and then progress through the works of Plato, Aristotle, Descartes, and then on to the moderns. They even do Shakespeare. So, if you're interested in developing a lifelong habit of reading and studying the classics of Western culture, go to onlinegreatbooks.com forward slash ROI, Enter the promo code ROI to get your 25% off your first three months of learning. Enjoy. This podcast is a Royfield Brown production. Find others on iTunes. All right. Yeah, I know. Ladies and gentlemen, please remain standing for the singing of our national anthem. That Britain is just a small island that no one pays attention to. A former colony won the right to determine its own destiny. Hello and welcome to Mid-Atlantic, the show where we look at the news and the views from one side of the Atlantic from the perspective of the other. Though, this week, I think we're all in the United Kingdom. I'm in sunny Birmingham and I am Roy Field Brown. Today I'm joined by intellectual heavyweight Chris Katurna in, I believe you're in London, aren't you, Chris? Oof, I am in London. I didn't realise that we're all in like, sort of on the same island today. Yeah. Bizarre. Bizarre. No wonder uh, you're coming it, in so clearly. Absolutely. And... As always, we have our irascible, um, sparky man that we love, Jerno Mick Wright in. Are you still in Norwich, Mick? 
Yeah, I am. Why, why does Chris get intellectual heavyweight and I get sparky? What the hell is this bullshit? <laughs> Wait, no, you because also get irascible. I would love to be irascible. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not exactly sure what it means, but it sounds like a very good adjective and one that's never been right, applied to. That's it, Royfield. I'm sending you photocopies of all my certificates. You little prick. <laughs> <laughs> I look forward to receiving them in a week that has seen Meghan Markle inject a little bit of colour into the royal pageantry. That was the royal wedding. We ask, what is the intellectual dark web? Barry, in your latest piece for the New York Times, it's entitled Meet the Renegades of the Intellectual Dark Web. And you write in part, what is the intellectual dark web and who is a member of it? Most simply, it is a collection of iconoclastic thinkers, academic renegades and media personalities who are having a rolling conversation that sound unlike anything else happening, at least publicly, in the culture right now. Feeling largely locked out of legacy outlets, they are rapidly building their own mass media channels. All share three distinct qualities. First, they are willing to disagree ferociously, but talk civilly about nearly every meaningful subject. Second, in an age which popular feelings about the way things ought to be often override facts about the way things actually are, each is determined to resist parroting what is politically convenient. And third, some have paid for this commitment by being purged from institutions that have become increasingly hostile to unorthodox thought and have found receptive audiences elsewhere. Last week saw the mainstream web, the place where most people hang out, the place where liberals with a small L like to um, pontificate, somewhat um, gnash their collective teeth over an article written by Barry Weiss of the New York Times. The article was somewhat of a coming out for many thinkers who see themselves as persecuted for speaking the truth, or at least their version of the truth. They call the truth freedom of speech. And they say that it's been denied them by the intellectual straitjacket that has been imposed by the left. Mick, has the media hubbub over the intellectual dark web been justified? Or at least the article and the fallout from it? Yeah, I, I, I think... I think for I think one of the most probably the first thing is just this term that that Barry Weiss is Barry Weiss I think I think because Barry Weiss sounds like a, a plumber from South London I think it's Barry <laughs> Weiss but um that she's put around this notion of like the intellectual dark web I think it's um giving a veneer of uh respectability and what passes for cool in the eyes of the new york times to a group of people who like to present themselves as highly heretical and um you know uh stopped from speaking well actually they're not really because they're they're present on youtube speaking to millions of people or thousands of people depending on which person you're talking about um jordan peterson you know one of the one of the kind of main figures in this who also got uh, another kind of soapy tit wank profile piece from the new york times this week um, <laughs> is was all over the bbc um the past week uh, talking about his book, his best-selling book. So obviously he's so censored that he's got a best-selling book and he was on uh, BBC Radio 2, uh, BBC One's uh, Daily Politics, uh, Radio 3, uh, Radio 4. So, you know, he, he is obviously a very censored, uh, you know, intellectual who can't really present himself to the world and get his views out there. Um, but I, I guess the thing that's interesting about them all is that they're all sort of 
united by this sense that there's a liberal left orthodoxy that is censoring speech and the co- and the sort of the position that a lot of people are taking is oh the right um even though some of these guys sort of resent being described as the right is winning the battle on free speech i'm not sure that's necessarily true i think it's that they are choosing to present a somewhat twisted uh notion of what free speech actually is well, I mean, it's called the dark web for a reason, right? I mean, <laughs> I did, 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 did Barry, uh, did, did she coin the, the, the term intellectual dark web? I, I, I didn't know that. I assumed that it's sort of something that they came up with themselves and sort of, you know, got together in, the, the, I, I assume no, I some, think, you know. It was, it was coined by, um, Eric Weinstein, who's a, a mathematician and, 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 part of peter teal's teal capital group but i would but the thing i I guess what i'm saying is that bari's kind of brought it into the mainstream it Mm. certainly wasn't a a phrase that was being used to combine them as a group i mean it's sort of i guess the equivalent of you know tom wolf who just died sort of picking up gonzo which he didn't invent but using it as a term you know kind of pushing it in with the new journalism thing and kind of swallowing up those terms to group people together um because that's what they're now being called. If you look at other articles, that's now that's their group identity now, mm. um, and it's this New York Times article that's given them that. The one thing which seems to unite them all, obviously, it is some sense of resentment, whether it's earned or or not, that they do feel that, uh, let's say, their intellectual peers somewhat look at them give them side eye don't they you know in common parlance and that's really where it seems to me like a lot of their resentment kind of comes from but if you actually digest some of this stuff you realize there are an incredibly disparate group in terms of political thought you do have a few lefties on there um though the majority of them seem to skew right of center pseudo left well whatever you know but (laughs) But, no, but, I think but, it's important. I think categories are important. You, you, there's too many people who who describe themselves as left, uh, you know, as leftist. But when you 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 interrogate their arguments, they're pretty authoritarian. Well, and what they're talking about is they feel that they're chafing on some kind of totalitarian totalitarian mind thing, don't they? That um, feminism means one thing, and so so I I do listen to Ben Shapiro. It wasn't the point I was going to make, but I, I know that it's probably the reason why we end up talking about this, isn't it, Mick? Because I said, I, I tweeted out a couple of days ago, a few days ago, that it's a guilty pleasure of mine. Um, I listen to him and full form. I, 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 I'm hour, just going to say, I, I have guilty pleasures, but I think listening to Ben Shapiro isn't, I, I, well. All right. Yours I, is probably I, I guess I'm more guilty than you are, is what I'm trying to say. <laughs> well, yours is probably a, a liking uh, of Ernie Abba's <laughs> output, but. <laughs> When you listen to um, somebody espouse their thoughts and feelings for an hour, it's not that it sucker punches you into believing that, oh, they're incredibly um, mild and that you should believe what they say, but you get the nuance. And the one thing about these guys uh, in whether it's in podcast form or whether it is in um, three hour long debate form on YouTube um you have the ability to listen to their ideas, disagree, but they there is some level of discourse. But and I actually quite like the long form um, format of actually what these guys are doing. Chris, discuss. 
I guess, uh, you know, I was just listening to a bit of uh, Jordan Peterson. I mean, he's one of my people, right? You know, sort of fellow Canadian. And yeah. so I feel somehow, you know, r- responsible for his behavior, especially when he goes outside <laughs> of the country. Uh, and I think it was the same New York Times piece that declared that he is now Canada's most famous public intellectual. I'm, I'm not sure that that's true, but probably for everyone outside of Canada, probably. I mean, can you name other Canadian public intellectuals? I can, but that's because I'm Canadian and you know, I listen to the CBC more than anyone outside of Canada does. You know, I think what is, what is sophisticated and kind of seductive about, uh, about their critique is that to some extent it does, I think, aim to um, uh, insert a bit of uh, simplicity and a bit of anchoring in you know what is a pretty complicated and shifting social moment you know you know jordan peterson sort of one of his sort of taglines is that uh you know i try to say the truth no matter what and you know and he has this sort of well developed argument about why that is kind of his his categorical imperative if you will and why it leads him to go on rants that, uh, you know, many of his colleagues at the University of Toronto find uh, find uncomfortable against, you know, for example, inclusive gender pronouns. And I guess, you know, w- whether I'm listening to Ben Shapiro or Jordan Peterson or, you know, the Rubin Report, any of this, I, I feel like what what they gloss over when they talk about truth, and they t- that's got to be the word that they all use the, the most frequently, uh, is that, you know, at least from, I didn't realize or I didn't get the memo that we had found an Archimedean point, you know, from which we can evaluate what is truth and what is falsehood. I mean, I, I thought, you know, reality was more complicated than that. And so it seems that, um, you know, there's a lot of interesting social critique within the quote unquote intellectual dark web. But the mistake, I think that a lot of the, the the mistake that's being made frequently there is sort of in a way the same uh, the same mistake that they're criticizing the quote unquote mainstream media for is taking you know interesting and valid social critiques and then elevating them to the status of truth in a way that suggests that actually I I own the truth and we can sort of listen to me and close off other considerations of it. I mean, there's a you know one of the one of the poster childs of this movement is. Uh, uh, what's his name? James Demore, the guy who uh, was fired from Google for yeah, from Google. yeah, yeah, yeah. For, for for sort of criticizing their gender inclusion policy, and you know, and I read his memo, and I would say I don't know if he was fired for truth so much as fired for raising his social critique to the status of truth, and mm. I think that that's uh, that's a, a a pretty common critique that we can apply to a lot of the intellectual voices within this dark web movement. It's interesting you talk about um, truth and it being elevated. There's this line from Jordan Peterson's, a quote from him, and he says, evil is the force that believes its knowledge is complete. And that's kind of what I get from these guys. They're kind of, they believe that they've, they've come to some kind of state of nirvana and they kind of know everything, though they're trying to say that they're engaging in, in debate. You know, there's there's a, there's an intellectual smugness definitely to to Jordan Peterson that you know I figured it all out and um, this is the truth. Though 
uh, that that line would lead you to believe that he is actually striving for uh, a quest for for more knowledge. Uh, Mick, um, when did you first come across the works of uh, Jordan Peterson? Oh, he's been scrolling around for some time. I, I I became aware of him at the point that he started to kick off around the Canadian pronoun laws. Mm. Um, and I don't necessarily think that some of the discussions around pronouns are very helpful. And I don't really think legislation in that area is necessarily helpful when done in the kind of hammer blow type way that the Canadian government was doing it. But that said, I think Peterson saw an opportunity there to make a, uh, oversized, shouty stand you know and that's basically what he does all the time and i think what's really really interesting if is watch him when he's interviewed by a woman one of the most interesting ones of course is the channel 4 news interview um conducted by kathy newman which the right and particularly peterson's big fans will hold up as a great example of him owning this leftist interviewer but what i see there and i i see often when he's interviewed by women and there's a couple of uh, well-known interviews in the UK who are, who are women who, who I was talking to this week and I won't name them, but they were saying I wouldn't even bother going on a thing with him because he's always very, very aggressive towards women. And you will see him get very frustrated when criticized. He, he likes to present himself as a real rational guy, but I think he's a very pent up person. And when you <laughs> read this week's, um, profile with him in the New York Times there's sort of a lot of odd things like he has a picture in his bedroom of two half naked women um, brandishing swords and there's a big part of it about how he despises Soviet art so he's bought loads of Soviet art for his house to remind himself of the terrors of communism right which is sort of bizarre way of thinking about things and the, the big thing at the moment for him is talking about how um, ancient art of snakes winding together and crossing over each other show that um, uh, earlier civilizations had an awareness of DNA, right? It's madness. It's, it's no <laughs> basis in fact. And he does a lot of this. He, he'll talk about witches and swamps and um, use a lot of myths and legends to uh, make statements around where men and women should exist. And I think fundamentally what you're seeing here is what he is is – what the Proud Boys, that you know, this group created by Gavin um, McInnes, who founded Vice and is a sort of weird frat, or what Milo or what certain parts of 4chan have done for these um, disaffected young men. It's just Jordan Peterson is a sort of surrogate father who says, pull up your trousers, clean, your, tidy your room. Um, wash your penis, basically. Like that's as much. That's as far. Like when you get to the depth of what he's saying to these young men, it's pretty. At, at its least controversial, it's very basic like that. And in its most controversial, he's saying things like he does in this week's New York Times profile, where he talks about the need for enforced monogamy. Now, subsequently, he said he doesn't actually mean enforced by the state, but more by social conditioning. But like, I think any of us would probably say, well, monogamy is pretty much the common uh, state in, in Western society, right? We kind of sort of have that. If you are in a poly relationship or you're, or, or you're in some kind of um, non-traditional relationship. That's not the norm here. Um, so just a few, couple of other things like I would say about this is like, um, I just, I'm, I, I find it interesting how he uses the language of 4chan, the language of the Pepe fans, the language of the alt-right. He does a lot of that stuff. 
Um, and that's interesting to me. The other thing I think overall about all these intellectual dark web people is something that we came at at the start and I sort of come back to a little bit is this notion that free speech is constrained. But actually what they mean is free speech is the right to say anything you want to anyone about anything in any context. That's the way they see free speech. But of course, in society, if you choose to live in a society, free speech is not absolute. And absolutism in any form is a dangerous thing in my mind. And like, obviously, there, I have the free speech, for instance, to use a racial epithet now, right? If I wanted to, right? But, you know, Roy Field is a person of color. If I use a racial epithet, which I wouldn't do, like, that's my free speech. But doesn't it, in saying, for instance, the N-word, wouldn't I then be constraining Royfield's freedom of speech and Royfield's ability to feel comfortable in the dialogue and comfortable as a member of society. So the notion that free speech is absolute is ridiculous. And it's the same thing, you know, the obvious example is shouting fire in a busy cinema. You can do it, but society constrains that absolute free speech for the protection of others. And so I think that's where we are with it. That is the underlying, when you said just to finish, when Royfield said, you know, what is the thing that com- connects them all, even if they disagree on things, that is their thing. Their thing is the notion that political correctness is not just a form of politeness, but a kind of authoritarian restriction. I don't believe that to be the case. And if I can just jump in on a couple of things you said there, like, you know, part of, you know, as you dissect the, 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 the reality, the, the complexity of, of a, a right like free speech you know, it is complex how it plays out and what are our sort of rights and duties to one another. And and this is where, you know, I talk about the simplicity of some of the narratives that come through the intellectual dark web as a kind of, you know, there is there is a clarity around absolutism. And and I think that it can be a bit of a sort of a secure point for, for people to hold on to. And, and it seems to me like a lot of what is going on uh, within the discourse is to provide some simplicity and to some clarity to what are otherwise really difficult and complex issues. And, you know, Mick, earlier you mentioned mm-hmm. the importance of labels. And, you know, the fact that mainstream media has become a label, uh, you know, is, is a, a powerful framing device for this whole movement, which creates a space and an audience and implies that there is a hunger for some kind of alternative to the, the the traditional media but but you know that label and, and a lot of the discourse within the dark web around what goes on in the mainstream media uh, is such a straw man that that oversimplifies the the conversations that are being had there in, in order to amplify the idea that if you want to have real debate then you need to get out of that you know quote unquote liberal left orthodoxy uh, and, it, and it just seems to me, I don't know, I, you know, I, I dive in from time to time and I leave being, being very suspicious of, of, of the agendas that are being served in there. And I, and I kind of suspect that a lot of them are self-serving. It's like, oh, Trump got elected and this is a way to build an audience. So let's pretend that we've got some big epic uh, social agenda around this. But really, I get clicks and views. And so I'm just going to keep doing this stuff. The other thing that obviously um, unites these thinkers is the kind of assumption that all of the basic tenets of Western civilization are valid and cannot be challenged. 
you know the classical core um, kind of values, whether it is judo uh, judo Christian uh, civilization, the whiteness of, of Western civilization, and kind of like the uh, the fundamental su- supremacy historically uh, of men, and 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 one mm. of the things, one of the, one of the reasons why they cannot understand why people would be upset by anything that they say is because they inherently believe that no community um, is actually disadvantaged. That is the reason why they get so flummoxed why some people, some communities, some sections of society actually find what they say objectionable because as far as they're concerned, uh, whatever wars feminism has fought, it's won them and actually now women are going too far. There is well, no... I... Yeah, I, I, I think you're, you're sort of right, but also I think that they, uh, what they're actually kind of doing is, is they want to be outraged at the things they're outraged at, mm. but then say, look at these left wing people, they're outraged at stuff all the time, when actually they trade in outrage constantly. I think a really good example is, um, and I, I, you know, I, I'm, I'm cautious of connecting him in any way to the word intellectual, but Brendan O'Neill of, <laughs> of, of Spiked, he, um, the way he, he constantly writes columns about people being outraged, but actually it's him being outraged at individuals being bothered about other things. The, the irony is, 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 is so rich you could make it into a gravy, but he would never be aware of that because his entire career is based around being deeply and impressively annoyed that other people don't share the same political viewpoint as him and accusing them of censorship while arguing that they should shut up and these guys have the same attitude in my view anyway no no i i, I think that's completely right and i think it's definitely connects to something that chris said before that there are a certain amount of these people who are peddling stuff out because they know it's going to generate clicks and they're making a living that way but this movement is hoovering up some kind of interesting bedfellows. So there's like uh, Majid Nawaz, isn't, isn't there? The uh, the British um, ex-Islamicist uh, who uh, has now turned into um, a very eloquent and is definitely a member of the, of the intellectual dark web anti-extremist activist. And he is very aggressive and uh, very pointed with some of his critiques of Islam, of which... Dare I say it? The let, and let, just for the sake of this argument, let's say the mainstream media, uh, liberals like us, feel very uncomfortable with, and the, and so so then you get the Southern Action Poverty Group saying that he's a hate peddler, and he's like, no, I am, I am a Muslim. You know, it's just that I am very pointed in my criticisms of some tenets of Islam. Yeah, let's stop. Let's not keep calling me a liberal. um well okay but 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 no i get your point but 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 it goes but it goes to a fundamental um the fundamental point of the i think of of this whole narrative is that we need to agree or have agreed a certain set of tenants uh for us to be able to engage in political sociological economic debate whatever and 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 that is 
dare I say it, liberal. So we, so whether I am of politically of the left, politically of the right, that we fund, that we agree on certain fundamentals, and that's where these guys come at it differently. That the orthodoxy from the 1960s, which is to talk about feminism as a thing. And to recognise that people of colour are um, are economically disadvantaged in the Western world and and globally, you can talk about the global South, etc. And then in the last 10, 15 years, the massive strides, at least in recognition of people who are, um, let's say, transgender, cisgender, those terms, they're chafing against that, aren't they? They're chafing against 50 years of um, social... uh, progressive thought and they're saying that there is no science for it that there is no science for transgenderism there is no science for um the equality of the sexes chris well i guess yeah you know um what i want to say what i want to say is uh you know i don't want to come across as saying like just everything that sort of get said within this sort of self-described intellectual dark web is uh, lacks merit or isn't interesting or isn't thoughtful or, or provocative. I mean, you know, I'm, I'm an academic, so I, I, I appreciate good social critique, right? And, 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 and we absolutely should, you know, take hard look at, um, you know, what are sort of dominant norms, beliefs, trends? Uh, I, I think I think that, you know, a, a, a vociferous and strong and healthy critique of progressivism, right, as an ism, I think is, 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 can only be good and fruitful for, for society. I think that, you know, it is, it is not very hard to look at Examples say I, you know, I do a lot of work in in the business community around you know sort of like uh, uh, you know bias awareness training and 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 stuff like that where you know things are being thrown around and applied without much thought. You know, it's it's not to say that the entire sort of history of feminism is not without its errors and mistakes, and you know, just as the history of masculism has gotten some things right and has gotten some things wrong, I'm sure that. You know, feminism is doing the same and it's going to take us a lot of healthy and penetrating social critique before we get to some future point where there's a healthy integration of sort of the, the masculine and the feminine aspects of humanity and, you know, and, and transcending gender and all of that kind of stuff. The thing that irks me the most is that when you really look at what's going on within a lot of this discourse, it's not just social critique in a kind of uh, analytic way. It is uh, a kind of triumphalist, aha, you know, look at the errors of, of you know, you, you tidy mainstream liberals who think that you've got the truth. No, 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 I've got the truth. And so, you know, what could be the foundation for a really interesting and maybe even helpful sort of critique that helps us to become more conscious of sort of the way things are today instead kind of in my mind goes down the dead end of just repeating the mistakes that it recognizes in the other side by sort of dressing itself in in some kind of robes of higher authority and and it's kind of i don't know i I just get kind of deeply uncomfortable 
uh, I, I guess mainly because sort of one of the one of the poster boys of this movement is Canadian. Uh, you know, <laughs> sort of like he didn't he didn't read the the going abroad manual that they give us when we leave the country, and it's sort of there's a certain <laughs> Canadian attitude that we're meant to maintain. Um, so that's I think um, I think that's a those are, that's a really good good point. I think just something I wanted to jump on that you said at the start of that session, Chris, is that. The, the issue with this, with the, the, the I think you're very right about stuff like there are some extreme, um, there's some extreme policing of speech by some elements of the left, as much as there is from the right, and that is worthy of critique. But I think the problem is when you um, see people like this, I, these guys who are kind of the polished face of it, going as far to the unpolished face of it to. Tommy Robinson or people like that, the kind of the real hard right that I saw at the um, Day for Freedom March in London recently is that they will, they take the extremes of the left and argue that the mainstream discourse now is that. So the most extreme proponents of the trans lobby, the most extreme proponents of mm. uh, left-wing speech policing, mm. they are, that's the rules now. Yeah, they're when actually, these when men. Yeah, and when you look at the mainstream media, broadly, the mainstream media hues to the centre-right. Certainly in the UK, um, you know, they, there's some more left-leaning outlets in the US because, you know, the US is a more polarised media environment. But in the UK, you know, most outlets are pretty much centre-right. I think we're going to talk about the Royal Wedding in a bit. And if you look at a good example of how fairly centre-right the media is, is there was basically no critique of the of the monarchy or or expenditure on the royal wedding or anything like that in the media mm. because the media broadly sort of goes yeah fine we we kind of buy the monarchy and that's mm. a good you know it's it's not a very left wing world mm. the world kind of skews right generally yeah, conservatism it, is still the dominant ideology no mick you're wrong but, trump trump trump's right there's a deep state uh, apparatus in the u.s and it's against him it's all a left stop listening to so much ben fight. shapiro reality reality has a well-known liberal bias we <laughs> that's stephen colbert i mean i think you're exactly right that they sort of try to find you know i guess leftist crackpots and represent them as the 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 center of the mainstream discourse and yet you know when when sort of the mainstream media uh d returns the same favor to the intellectual dark web so well we can't believe that you're associated with these voices or those voices uh you know people like ruben with his ruben report they say no 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 those aren't we're not associated with those people i might interview those people because i want to probe their ideas but i'm not trying to say that i associate with or endorse these views i mean when when larry king interviewed you know range people we never assumed that that he was endorsing the views of the people that he interviewed so why are you you know why are you applying that weird logic to me which is yeah not many left wingers make it on the ruben report though. well so so this is the thing i think that you know, if you are calling yourself an intellect, like an intellectual dark web, and and you know some people get to be members of it and some people don't, I mean, then I think that if you are sort of curating the people who are coming on to your audience, I think it's only fair to imply an association because clearly you've already applied a filter that say there are some views that are supportive of our agenda and there are some views that. Are, are going to be against our agenda. And we're going to include on our airwaves to our audience views that are in some way supportive of our agenda. So I don't think you can sort of have an agenda when it suits you 
And then when it's used as a critique against you, claim that no, 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 we're just trying to critique. Yeah, particularly as he he uh, very recently interviewed Katie Hopkins with a, in a very gentle manner, um, you know. So it, it, but, he, Mick, is it fair? Serious point here. Is it fair to include her in this? Because in no way is she an intellectual. No, 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 but no, no, no. Well, a, I don't agree that these guys are intellectuals. Right, being an academic doesn't necessarily mean you're actually that intellectually rigorous. Right. The thing oh, is, boy, do I, I, I have think to agree Jordan with Peterson, that? Yeah. Do I think <laughs> that Jordan Peterson, uh, uh, Jordan Peterson, um, uh, has done the research in certain areas of um, psychotherapy and uh, you know the areas in which he has a PhD? Right. I I'd certainly agree with that. Right. But as a public intellectual, uh, Jordan Peterson is not very willing to have a broad. He's not a broad thinker. Right. He's a showman. Um, not a very good one in my, uh, to my mind. All of these guys that you said before, are like, you make, oh, you make oh. a good point. You make. Well, a good hang point. on, you haven't okay. let me finish my point here. That my point is, why am I? Am I including Katie Hopkins in this? No, I'm not. But Dave Rubin, just using him as an example, and the Rubin Report as an example, has regularly had people on here who are straight up provocateurs of the hard right, because at this point now, Katie Hopkins works for Rebel Media, which is a hard right media organization, uh, also Canadian. Um, and, and that's, you know, you, you just have to say, you know, if you lay down with dogs, you catch fleas, right? And you, I, I think what, you know, what Chris is saying is very valid. You have to look at who these, they let on these shows, who they bring into their dialogue and into their dialogue so often. And who will they share stages with are people on the hard right. If you don't want to be associated with the alt right and the hard right, don't so, spend so much time finding fellow feeling with them. Mm. No, that, that, that's a fair point and, and well eloquently made. Um, is maybe just to wrap this up is maybe the one thing they all have in common is actually that they are actually showmen, that this is the, um, the, the 2018 version of a shock jock, you know, when uh, Rush Limbaugh first like got on the airways. There's a, there's a sucker born every minute. I, so if I can muddy the waters just a little bit, like, so, you know, I think of like this, uh, the James Damore case, you know, who sort of, Mm-hmm. You know, works at Google, then just decides to snap against their diversity policy and and is fired. I I don't think necessarily he was a shock jock, but in the aftermath, and then suddenly you get all this fame and attention. I think then you kind of you know fill in a backstory for yourself and say, yeah, this is my mission, this is my agenda. Um, and and if people hadn't been paying attention and hadn't been excited and rallied around it, then you know I I I don't think the person in the memo would, would, would still be, would still be discussed. So, you know, I, I, I think that, you know, the origin story for some of these people who have, you know, had some, had some event where they, they ran afoul of the norms of the institutions in which they were working with. I I mean, again, I think that there's actually really interesting social critique to do there and to unpack these cases and to look at them and that everyone should be willing to get around the table and say, you know what, we're not perfect. And maybe sometimes we get these things wrong. There are a lot of hard cases that inevitably do get debated. And by the way, debated in the mainstream media too, because we're diverse societies, we're liberal societies, and it is hard to figure out 
how do we do the balance of sort of your right to speak and people's right not to be offended or to feel that they've been persecuted? And, and we're always going to have to work that out. So, so that's productive. But I feel like when we start to sort of essentialize this, and uh, I, I forget who said it, that, you know, those who are certain are stupid. And do you know what I think is is so important here? Because uh, <laughs> it just it occurs to me is that we what we have to do is these guys argue to win, right? And the left has and the left and liberals and the center left and the center right they don't always argue to win. These mm. guys go like go for the knockout, and I'm a bit tired of allowing them to take the ground they want and to take the terms they want. Like mm. you've got far mm. right people calling themselves classical liberals. Mm. I'm sorry, but what we need to start saying is bullshit. You're not. You're like, and what we can't do is leap to calling them fascists, right, or mm. calling them Nazis because it's just too easy to say, well, you lost the game. But certainly, I'm not going to allow them to say I'm a classical liberal anymore mm. you know and, and and it's got to be we have to fight a bit harder and the other thing i'd mm. say is last week earlier this week there was a debate and you had stephen fry sat next to jordan peterson arguing for the motion on the same side as jordan peterson and that just shows you how someone like him is being mainstreamed incredibly effectively by a very smart pr operation and fundamentally mm. i think the left and liberals need to get a lot better at the pr and it's a point royfield's made before um i think off air but it, it's a very fair one we've got to just be better at entertaining people and selling our arguments rather than being po-faced about it no listen a- absolutely absolutely and on that note um gentlemen we will move on to matters from home at least for two out of the three of us. Will you take Megan to be your wife? Will you love her, comfort her, honour and protect her? And forsaking all other, be faithful to her as long as you both shall live? I will. Megan, will you take Harry to be your husband? Will you love him, comfort him, honour and protect him? And forsaking all others, be faithful to him as long as you both shall live. I will. This weekend saw the wedding of the Duke and Duchess of Sussex. Somewhat unusual in terms of the history of the British monarchy because... The new Duchess is a woman of colour. Mick Wright, what does this say about Britain post well, not post Brexit Britain, but post referendum Brexit Britain in 2018? How can we define Britishness if the iconic notion of Britishness, the royal family, has got a little bit of colour in it? I think there's been a lot of op-eds and comment pieces already this week about um, race and Britain. Um, and I, I always feel slightly cautious about opining on race and Britain, uh, given that uh, I am an extremely pasty white man and you are the sort of photo negative opposite of me. But <laughs> what I would say <laughs> is that I think it is a PR coup for the for the royal family, you know, sometimes called the firm. I think they were they've they're very pleased about this. But it's also worth noting that 
Meghan Markle was a successful actress and now she's no longer going to be an actress. And all her social media feeds were required to be shut down when she became engaged to Prince Harry. And I think in terms of race, um, this week, uh, a, 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 a greetings card with a picture of an ape on it was sent to the British Labour MP, David Lammy, um, uh, black MP, and inside it was absolutely packed with horrendous racial invective. So I think the notion, the really naive, tedious notion that the royal family um, tolerating uh, a black uh, member of the family is... Um, uh, it says something about the racial r- racial situation in the, in the UK is, is really kind of tedious. The other thing I would say is watch back the highlights of the coverage. And as the black pastor is speaking, and it was a probably the best bit of the ceremony, it's this looping, passionate um, sermon about love and fire and the nature of faith. Like, and I'm I'm neither religious nor a fan of the royal family. Let's have a republic as soon as possible. But it, it was incredible to watch that pastor. And then they cut to the royal family, and even these people who spent their whole lives having to know how to look interested in public couldn't help but look embarrassed and bored. And that's very interesting to me because I think that's the, that tells you what they really think about blackness and the black experience as represented in this raw passionate american way it made them uncomfortable Mm. is that fair chris surely looking at that ceremony uh the whole brouhaha around it you know, I, I remember switching on my TV. One minute I saw Oprah Winfrey walking down the road it, with with a fancy hat. Then I saw Idris Elba. Then I saw a whole load of people of other skin colours and, and whatever. And then looking at that ceremony, there was this African-American pastor. There was this black cellist. There was this great gospel group. Wasn't that just a great advert for Britain to say, you know what, we might be a bunch of bloody idiots because we voted for Brexit, but... We aren't the Britain that you that you think that we are to the rest of the world. I mean, I guess you know, and sort of, I, well, Canadians are big are pretty big fans of the of the British royal family, and sort of, you know, I, I come I come from uh, a city in Canada called Regina. I sometimes mispronounce it deliberately, just so that I don't hear titters in the background. But yeah, so I come from Regina. Have you ever been down there? Um, you know, <laughs> oh, God, no. I'm not making laugh about that one. You know, it, it just as another aside, you know, I think so because I'm not so big into like royal royal wedding stuff. Although I did buy two like ridiculously trashy tea towels to give to my mom and my sister for Christmas. I mean, I'm planning ahead, and they'll love that. They're awful. They are just. I, I looked for the most awful souvenirs I could find. Chris, isn't that what a lot of a lot of us do? That we say we don't believe in this institution because we know it's patently absurd, but we sit down and watch the ceremonies. We buy the tea towels for for our kith and kin, and you know we we, we tacitly supporting it. Well, you know, I actually have a lot of um, a lot of time and consideration for just like conservative thought generally and and the argument that there is value in tradition and it seems to me actually like sort of in this 
in this social media age that we live in, where there's all these crank celebrities sort of being born every minute, uh, it, it's not a bad thing <laughs> for sort of the state in Britain, sort of the, the cultural estate, to sort of have a, a celebrity family that sort of, you know, it's it's like a renewable resource, this public attention that it gets sort of almost guaranteed generation after generation to then use to put out certain messages around this is how things ought to be, or this is a certain ideal that God knows society doesn't embody, but let's all kind of bear in mind, you know, what we could imagine an ideal Britain might look like. And so, you know, is it a reflection of Britain today? Probably not. I'm not the one to weigh in on that. But, you know, could it be an interesting kind of leading uh, influence around sort of the direction that we want society to go. I, I kind of, I assume that that's sort of part of the historical role of the royal family to sort of be the guardians of, you know, this is what it should be. Um, and if it does play any kind of role like that in culture, uh, maybe just because of the celebrity attention that the family accrues all the time, then, you know, that could be a, a positive thing. I, I will sort of just as another uh, indulgence aside, because again, I, I I'm not a big royal wedding watcher, but the, the biggest takeaway for me from the wedding, and and I hadn't realized mm-hmm. that is that Sussex is in the south, <laughs> and and Wessex <laughs> is in the west, and Essex is in the east, and that's uh, that was yeah. that Wessex was like when I, Wessex hasn't existed in a long, long time. Well, my point is like that was that was the biggest epiphany for me since when I figured out why <laughs> Monopoly is called Monopoly. <laughs> so you know the like like the people from the, the people from the north from the North Folk. Where do you think well, that is? Is that that was the, then going to be my question? I like it, there isn't a Essex, is there? Or or that's Scotland? No, 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 there isn't. There isn't. <laughs> But okay, let let let's move this on just just from the royal family. Can I not say? But, can I not have a big Republican rant? Do I not no, get an opportunity? No oh. All right. If you're going to have the Republican rant, I'm, I'm going to jump in and say this first. Then, right, the best argument I heard for the royal family was made by somebody on a podcast. I can't. We're not even talking. Not, wasn't a British podcast at all, but it was um, somebody talking about uh, the American political system. And says and said, when we have a political system as we do at the moment, which is so divisive, and where we have our executive, our head of our head of our executive, who's also the head of our head of state, ceremonially, it creates a tension. The, the person who's cutting the ribbon, who's patting patting you on the head, giving you that that shiny gong, is a partisan figure, and they were not making um, an argument for there to be a monarchy in America. But it did strike me that this this bauble, this weird anachronism, this wonderful irrelevance, which is, you know, the symbol of, of ultimately of inequality, actually does have a place when there is political rancor like we have in Britain and the United States right now. To have one section of the state, which is purely there ceremonially, just to pat everybody on the head and is above the party political fray is actually not at all a bad thing. Go on, give us your Republican. I mean, that's what you just said there is, is 
utter bullshit r- rolled in glitter, isn't it? I mean, quite honestly, <laughs> because because the thing about that is, right? Okay, the, the 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 American Republic is not the only model of republics, right? And the nearest republic to us in terms of geographical France, di- yeah. difference, and, and they have, and their head of state does both functions. Hold yes. on, Macron. Does Hold both. on, the nearest re- republic to us is the Irish oh, sorry, Republic, Ireland. and the Irish oh, okay. Republic has the Taoiseach. The, the prime minister and it has a ceremonial presidency right or a pseudo ceremonial presidency the president can do some things but never really does and i lived in ireland for eight years and and and, and the, the argument that you will get in the uk against a republic is they'll say well god do you want president blair but if you look at the way that presidency has worked in Ireland, certainly in the late 20th and early 21st century, is that it has been people who who have had uh, major cultural roles in the state who have tended to become president. It's not been former prime ministers. It's not the Bertie Ahearns of this world or, or, you know, the Charles Horhees. It's it's people like the current president, Michael D. Higgins, who who helped set up the Irish language um, TV station who ha- is an artist and a poet and also was a politician, but not a politician at, at, at the prime ministerial level. Um, so for me, the arguments against a republic are facile. The arguments for a monarchy are the arguments of people who uh, throw away any pretense of them caring about any form of um, true uh, merit in society. Because what you're essentially saying, if you are pro-monarchy, is that you believe that the queen has a magic vagina. And when she dies, Prince Charles, he's, you know, he came out of the magic vagina, so that's fine. And then Prince Charles you know, put his penis in another magic vagina and created some children who then deserve to be, you know, and on and on and on and on. It's farcical. It's as much, it's as close as believing that if you super glue a cornetto to a horse's head, that it's a unicorn. And the worst problem with the royals is to compare them to celebrities because someone the other day said, oh, well, look, you know, there's David Beckham and Victoria Beckham. You know, some people treat them in the same way, a bit like the royals. But as much, the thing is, Victoria Beckham had to get famous. Whether she was a good singer or not, she had to get famous. And David Beckham is one of the greatest footballers of his, of his generation. They, they became famous through talent or at least pushing themselves to become famous. The royals are actually talentless. When you go back and you look at the history of it, <laughs> someone like Prince Charles had to be pushed through Cambridge, then went in the military and sort of farted about there. Same thing with Prince Andrew. The one thing I would say for Prince Harry, at least, is that he served with some distinction in the military, and I give him all credit for that. But what I would have preferred is that he and his brother continued to be in the military and did an actual job, because what they do now is not a job. So when you look at Meghan and Harry choosing not to go on their honeymoon and get straight to work, if you consider working to be waving and smiling then you have a very twisted and and sort of fake sense of what work is and the notion that the queen cares about people is also a farce what the queen has been very good at doing is being (laughs) a a blank slate 
being a blank slate is a powerful thing. She's been really smart. (laughs) But what I hope will happen is that because Prince Charles can't keep his flapping gob shut, if he becomes king, which he may or may not do, but if he becomes king, he has been interfering in politics so much that I think that he will sat-nav the royal family into a ditch. I hope that happens. But the other thing I hope happens (laughs) is that Republican arguments are given more time and airspace in the media because there's a solid 20% of the population who believe in a republic. I think that would rise if the arguments, the kind of arguments I'm putting now, had were given time and space on television. There were about 12 hours worth of coverage of the royal wedding on Saturday. There was not even a minute given to the fact that the homeless people in Windsor were driven off the streets or that the wedding cost nearly £4 million in policing out of the state. The state had to pay for that. That is farcical. And it doesn't matter if you say that the monarchy makes us money because that is dirty money. And their palaces and their riches were stolen from the people. <laughs> Woo! <laughs> yeah. well, That's been a yeah, long time it, it, coming. You know, and, I, and I can't possibly reply to, well, I, 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 I don't know if I agree or disagree with, uh, with you, Mick, on, on, on this. I mean, the nice thing about being Canadian is that we have, we have a constitutional monarchy um but you know except for the odd sort of visit by the royal family it is uh essentially a polite fiction you know the sort of the governor general rules in the stead of the monarch who is never there and uh and essentially it's it's a parliamentary democracy with you know some some polite formulas which you know don't have any particular power, even presence in our society. So we, we just sort of, you know, it's nice to have a reason to get out every now and then. And we have Victoria Day too. So, you know, we get a few more public holidays out of I it. I mean, Trudeau gets to act like the president, doesn't he? Yeah, yeah sure, sure. essentially act like. You know, so, but like a couple of thoughts. I mean, one, like, of course, the, the British monarchy is going to be completely indefensible if we're asking, you know, is any of their, any of the stuff that they have earned, right? It's an entirely unearned but- celebrity Okay. Well. All right. Yeah. We, we we know. We listen. But, I'm going to jump in right? because this was not supposed to be a debate per se about the monarchy, right? But well, but Mick took the opportunities. So. I, I, I <laughs> no, 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 no. And, and, and Mick, 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 Mick has got his own Republican agenda here, which yeah, I guess say hats off to him because, dear listener, Mick did pick both topics for us to discuss. Yeah, and the week, absence so. of anybody else um, picking it, some, it, it, so don't try that one. Well, no, no, no. Fair enough. Fair enough. Fair enough. But what I would say is that as somebody who's kind of left of centre, but I'll class myself as a romantic when it comes You're to You're a wet centrist. That's Not that what I'm you are. blind. Yeah, you call, call, call me whatever you want. Right? There, there's a lot to be Praise said. Praise at the altar for, of the royal vagina. There's a lot to be said for inertia. And you said something earlier, earlier, Chris, which was to say, oh, I've got a certain amount for a certain amount of time for I tradition. Do, yeah. You put you put inertia and tradition together, and you get eighty percent of Brits or whatever the percentage is. Just saying, leave them there because you know what? As much as as it is a fiction in Canada, okay, it is maybe not as small a fiction in the UK because these people physically live here. And every now and then they get in their gold uh, carriages and, and go up and down. But fundamentally, 
Does it get in anybody's way? Absolutely not. And yes, we can. No, but there it is does. A, there is a does, financial argument. Does. Nick, Nick. But it does. No, it does. Mick, Mick, Mick. It does. Mick. How? And I'll tell and I'll tell you what, for somebody who I had not really looked at one picture of Meghan Markle before this wedding, you know, okay, I knew what she looked like. I had looked at a picture of her, but I didn't know her backstory. All this nonsense with her father's coming, he wasn't coming. I was like, what is going on here? Right? Put that all to one side, right? And this might be a really facile arg- point I'm going to make. And it might say much more about me intellectually than I care to mention. But considering the political turmoil that this country has been through, which is unprecedented since the Second World War in the last two years, you know what? If people want to get out a Union Jack, which probably won't even exist in, let's say, 20 years' time, and wave it around and whatever and see some fairy tale, and just for one day we just all smile and then we forget about the day afterwards. If Kim Jong-un get the North Koreans to wave some flags, just let them do it. It's a... No, I said... No, but, there's a big no, but difference. Let, let there's me a big let, difference, but, right? If, pe- if people just want to set aside, if people want to set no. aside the real important issues for twenty-four for twelve hours of a BBC broadcast, no, no, because there's no, a great catharsis. great catharsis. So, so, so I mean, right. Royfield, your and argument is close to harm, and, and Nick's argument is there is some harm, I guess. You're arguing against the the, the right of the dissenting opinion. And I know what you're saying, but you are doing that, like because that that argument, people say, "Oh, just let them enjoy it." No, I'm sorry, I I don't, I will not let the royal family enjoy four million pounds. No, 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 no. It wasn't a point for the royal family, and and actually, I'd make the same point about England winning a World Cup final. You know what? It's not just the same. One day, it's not the same. If that ever happened. It's not the same. What? I can't. It, 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 I, I think in no, the royal family's not, defense, not, I mean, you know, maybe a lot of money that's and been actually, spent. And actually, I wasn't really trying to defend the royal family. Um, what Chris, I by the way, because you're Canadian, you can't uh, probably can't get a, a knighthood, but do keep do keep going just in case. <laughs> well, I was just gonna, I was just gonna say. I mean, so maybe you know their status is unearned, but at least they're relatively aware that it's unearned and sensitive to it, and trying to justify their status and privilege by the sort of the, the, the roles they play in society. Whereas most celebrities and the uber rich, they they don't have any problem with the status of no, their I, no. But you see, that's that that is they're just happy to take it from us. That is a product of PR genius. Okay. The, the royal family are brilliant at PR, and they've got very good at PR. They, they first showed how good they were at PR um, in the in the 60s when um, the Queen allowed the TV cameras in to do a documentary that made them seem more human. Then they, they messed their PR up for some time. After Diana's death, they really focused down on PR again. This notion that they are aware of their unearned wealth is, is it's a brilliant PR stroke, but it's not really true because... If you get into looking at how many servants Prince Charles has, for instance, it is it is it is an obscenity, and that's why I get bothered by this because I sort of like I hate to argue with Royfield to the level I'm arguing with him right now, but it bothers me because because no 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 let me get to one point with me. I'm sending him. I'm like Mick. All right, right. Calm down. Let me get to this final point, which is this. 
You're yeah, telling I am because, me because because you because, because you shout as much as I do. You just you just present you just pretend that you don't. My final point on this is my issue with the royal family is people say, oh well, they're kind of like it's just a sort of exception. It doesn't really matter, but. As the royal family continues to exist, and any royal families continue to exist, it is a it is the most commercialized PR powered version of accepting elitism, right? Because it's accepting a notion that unearned, um, talentless wealth is an acceptable thing. And it is it is something that helps to continue a world that we live in where 1% of the people own the, major- own the majority of the wealth. That's my problem with it. Oh, that's an interesting point. That's my that's problem with it. it. It's not symbolic. It is, I, it is the tip of the iceberg of a structural inequality that keeps most of humanity under the yoke of an elitist system. There are, just like you... you pointed out there are different type of uh, republics around the world you know there are different types of monarchies you could even have an elective one just just the sake of just throwing that into have a facile argument about this but i think at the heart of the state and this is a purely romantic notion of mine i'm, I'm not going to sign any rigorous intellectualism to it at all other than to say that the odd distraction and the odd thing that brings a nation together every now and then is not at all a bad thing. Hence, I was going to talk about England and, you know, win, winning a World Cup. Or but, you know, some winning a World Cup is, is, is a product of and, talent, though, isn't it? And, it is a, and, and the thing about uh, winning a World Cup is that it is that you, you have working you know class. Working okay, Mick. Mick, Mick, it could even be winning. Yeah, and I, I'm, I'm, I'd be perfectly happy with that. Again, everything you're saying is about talent. And, and I assign, and I assign the, the the main function of the royal family as that and, propaganda. And I, and I, and with every every fibre of my body, I'm kind of with you in in the utter historical symbolism of where this institution has come from. But the the student of history. And the romantic says to me, you know what, if this is a link to the to the foundation of the state of England, and if this is the the the, the visceral link between Scotland and England, it was the crown. Can, can I can I say three hundred odd years ago? Wait a minute, let me There's one thing we haven't covered well, here and I, we should definitely cover. Make, let, oh Jesus. I Mick, fucking hate it when right. you do this. Considering this is supposed to be a comment, <laughs> he says my name a lot. To me, right, Mick, you have taken up, Mister Wright. You have taken up. You've Wind been rush. passionate. You've been erudite. You've been. That's the thing that we haven't just we've not covered here when we're talking about race, race, and the British state, and, and, and the royal family. Okay, what we ha- what we haven't done, what we have not done in this conversation is to talk about Windrush and how Windrush intersects with the Brexit referendum and the royal and the royal wedding to to give Britain a sense of actually who and what it is right here and now and what. Well, that's the what I'm saying because the Britain state's been racist, is, and then we get but we get this distraction where we see a a a, a mixed race person joining the royal family, and we get told. Britain isn't racist, but these these uh, these brilliant people in the who are who are uh, uh, much you know are older now, who are being you know thrown uh, thrown out essentially. That is uh, for me. That's that's 
that that's the biggest point here is okay it, the royal family's managed to achieve something here that's you know sort of it's fairly creditable in some sense is great that they're, they're sort of diversifying their family but you know Roy Field, didn't you think, weren't those kids who were carrying her train, weren't they cute? Oh, you two, you two. <laughs> I, I really, I, I really like the symbolism of the, of the 53 yeah. flowers that she had on, on the train. And weren't they really well behaved? Thought, well, well, those because... two boys were, um, mm-hmm. were the Mulroney twins. So uh, Brian Mulroney, former prime minister of Canada, his son, Ben Mulroney was like mm-hmm. C-list celebrity, but, uh, married to some PR woman in Canada who is friends with Meghan Markle. And, you know, mm-hmm. because Ben Mulroney, son of prime minister, he knew all about how do you sort of avoid the media and stuff like that. So he and Jessica is his wife. They supplied their home in Toronto for Harry and Meghan to get away together on, on several occasions. Oh, yeah, so that's why they were spending all their time in Toronto is because I, Ben Mulroney you know, was helping them. Kind of, this for how, do you, how do you have a romance out of the well, cameras? When you I'm when saying, the review episodes of the Crown and see how historically accurate they are, <laughs> that's right. That's right. I mean, and, and that's why I just don't understand your vehemence towards the royal family, Mick, because they seem so nice in that television program. I really liked. Uh, I, I, I thought her dress was beautiful. Um, I, I thought that her mother's uh, mother's outfit was wonderful too. What did you rate to that? Chris? I didn't notice the mother's outfit. I was spending maybe too I much time both. looking it at her. It was like a lime, a lime green. Uh, it was lime green. I forget that they the Ma had the best hat by far. <laughs> Oprah's was not too bad. <laughs> Your pair of pricks, <laughs> right? <laughs> and what, what you know you talked about the celebrity of victoria and and david beckham but i noticed that they and like elton john they were in elton the john was the best queen at that wedding <laughs> <laughs> but um jewelry isn't a gift you give just once it's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, how to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, how to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promoting for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hello and welcome to The Things That Made England. I'm Roy Phil Brown and with me I have... David Crowther of The History of England. It was the best of times. It was the worst of times. 
She was the people's princess. To fight on the beaches. Oh wait, man, these are the things that made England. To fight on the landing ground. These are the things that made I England. I have a body, but of a weak and feeble woman. These are the things that made England. And a king of England, too. These are the things that made England. Cry God for Harry! And these are the things that made England. England! And St. George! These are the things that made England. It gives wind in Churchill's sails to say we can continue to fight on. Well, there cannot be many more famous events in English history than 1066. It hurts. (laughs) Even now. Because 1066 is important. Yeah. But... There's aspects of modern British culture which I think get overlooked. So I'm proposing that this week we do Scar. For me, the English flag has in the past certainly become associated with factionalism and, well, hideous racist and far-right views. And it's turned into a thing of disunity and almost xenophobia. The idea of this show is to decide on what things that make England as she is. The country that, despite it all, we feel lucky to be part of. Every week, one of us, that's David and I, will pitch an idea to the other to be designated as one of the things that makes England distinctive. Go and join our shiny new Facebook site where once a month we will post a poll where, should you so desire, you can make your own very suggestions for applications to the I Made England Award. So, without more ado, let's do it. It was the best of times. It was the worst. She was the people's princess. To fight on the beaches. Oh wait, man! These are the things that made England. To fight on the landing ground. These are the things that made I England. I have a body, but of a weak and evil woman. These are the things that made England. And a king of England too. These are the things that made England. Cry God for Harry! And these are the things that made England. England and Saint George. These are the things that made England. Gentlemen, this has been a spirited Mid-Atlantic. It's been a slightly different format. Mick Wright has come up with the questions, so I think it's only right and proper that he gives us his takeaway of the last seven days first. Oh, uh, okay. Uh, I'll do something nice, because that's good, isn't it? Um, I really like the new Arctic Monkeys record, and a load of people don't, because it's sort of uh, weird, unusual, uh, space-themed lounge jazz. But... um, Give it a whirl. It's good. Um, yes, that is my that is my takeaway for the week. When was the last time you looked good on the dance floor, Mick? Always. I have, I've got moves, mate. I got moves. Was there some kind of like hey. implicit criticism there, Royfield? It's kind of no. He's just referencing the, the song. I assume. Uh, okay, I see. I see. I see. That was over my head. Yeah, you're obviously not au fait with their work, sir. Me, no, I'm. You know, speak, yes, so yeah. my takeaway this week, I I went back in time, and I spent uh, some good quality time listening to sort of the back catalogue of the Tragically Hip. Do you guys even know who that is? The Tragically yeah, Hip. Yeah, they're a real underrated band. They're good, but they they, they didn't really amazing. they didn't get a lot of traction over here. That's like old old boring white music. Well, so <laughs> I mean, so I, iconic Canadian rock band who you know huge in Canada never managed to get big oxymoron Canadian well, exactly, rock band. But they never managed rock, to make it outside, outside of Canada, so they just sort of stayed true to their Canadian roots and got sort of more and more closely loved by by Canadians and they've got like some amazing songs but their um their uh, lead singer Gord he died this last year from brain cancer and when he was diagnosed he he decided to go on a final tour across Canada and I mean he barely finished some of the sets because he was pretty late in 
late in his illness, but he uh, he managed to sort of close it out with a swan song tour of Canadians, and somehow it crossed my it crossed my radar this week, and I ah I spent some time in front of YouTube, you know, sort of, sort of tissues, and drying what, my eyes. What tragically hit record should people listen to? Um, my you should try uh, music at work. It's uh, one oh. of the big albums from the nineties. That will do. We will exit with that. We'll exit with uh, Arctic Monkeys' new one, and then we're going to go into that one by the yeah. Tragically Hip. Um, my uh, takeaway of the last seven days is just the mystery that is HP Source. Quite simply, um, <laughs> traveling traveling the world, you realise that what defines a culture and a country is actually its condiments, not necessarily its national dishes, because those actually go across borders. So curry is as British as it, as it is Indian. You know, hamburgers, where they're from Hamburg, they're American. They're just, the whole world eats hamburgers now. But actually condiments like ranch, ranch sauce. Go When I'm in America, people say, do you want ranch sauce? I'm, what is ranch? I've no idea what it is. And condiments do not really travel. And when I first went to America, I can't remember where I was, but I said, can I have some brown sauce? A one steak, and the man so. just looked at me like I was crazy. Well, it's I that's think what it's they'll not give you instead. Like it's not the same. It, it does, it's not vinegar. Exactly. Enough. It's not exactly exactly. When when I when I was forced to think about what I'd actually said and confuse this person, it's brown. What does brown taste like? You know, the whole thing is actually quite bizarre. That brown sauce is amazing. <laughs> it's the greatest <laughs> condiment. Um, it is. And it's fundamentally something which is British for slash English. And I only realised that Wait, really in the think, last four years when I started to... Don't you think it's mm, interesting, though, that uh, some condiments sort of... Because, uh, I, hummus is not a condiment so much, but I was thinking about this. No one ever used to eat hummus, not really, not out, outside certain communities, right? And then I was thinking just about yeah. jerk um, sauce, right? Because since um, your mm. man went on The Apprentice, and did, uh, not The Apprentice, on... Um, Leave, reggae, like, reggae sauce, yeah. right? Jerk, jerk chicken like, is everywhere now. Yeah. It didn't used to be. I had Jamaican friends when I was young, and that's how I tried jerk chicken. But no white people ate jerk chicken like before the, like the late nineties. Just didn't. Yeah. No, you, you, you're spot on the money. And actually, jerk seasoning is is a funny thing because when as a little kid going to Jamaica, I I couldn't tell you what the hell jerk sauce was. Jerk seasoning was dry, yeah. isn't it? It, it, this was not yeah exactly jerk is actually supposed to be dry it, it's the seasoning and you'll get off the plane uh from jamaica and you'll be driving to your aunties and you can smell these roadside people like cooking this stuff it's roadside cooking it's street food but it's not a wet thing so jerk sauce is actually i would say and somebody needs to like email me and tell me i'm wrong a relatively new phenomenon it's it's like chicken tikka masala it, it, fundamentally, what you've done is uh, make that commodity, make that condiment acceptable. Exactly, you know what I, because it's the season. Do you know, what I think needs jerk. to come to Britain though that that you don't. Is it, America has it, but you don't never you don't get here the dry rub. Any American like diner, like particularly in the South, you get the dry rub, right? No, you can't get that here. Nowhere sells dry rub. If your head is in the gutter like mine, you you listen to some of these terms and you just think, what are we talking about now? <laughs> like, I, you need to hose him down today. You've been there's a few of these today. <laughs> it's, 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 you know, I also you know, uh, Britain is a study in contrasts. That you know, the national condiment is brown sauce, and we have institutionalized racism. 
Well, it's yeah. <laughs> well, it's red sauce or brown sauce. There's a whole radio quiz about that. I, I tell you, I tell you what, you Canadians need to export poutine. That is some crazy, beautiful stuff. Ah, there's a brilliant poutine. There's a my favorite bar, which I've recorded um, Mid Atlantic from before. Gonzo's is run by Canadians, so you can get very good poutine in Norwich. You know, you know, Canadians are actually. This is this is a, a, an issue of kind of. You know, national angst for us is we don't really know what our like. Do we have a national food? And people say poutine, but really, poutine is a Quebec thing, and it's just French fries don't and gravy just, and you know, cheese just. curd. Put it together. I mean, it's all of these wonderful things on top of each other. But you know, that's I guess the only thing that we can export that people identify as uniquely ours, other than a particular cut of bacon. And, and maple syrup, but it's normal bacon. But that's like a condiment again, not really. It's, it's well, it's a syrup. It's not a bring it home. Everything else, we've got to bring this. Bringing me so we need to wrap this up. <laughs> right, Chris. How can people find you on social media? And what are you up to? Quickly, go. Uh, you know what? At www.katarna.net. I, I just don't have time to do anything else anywhere else. So find me there. All right, uh, Mick Wright. How about you, sir? Uh, it's it's your boy Broken Bottle Boy on Twitter. You know, you know, you know it makes sense for all your <laughs> Republican rants. Uh, and you can catch up with me uh, on Twitter if you, if you can be bothered to uh, see me. Just like tweet about the art at Roy Fields, but R O I F I E L D. You can follow the progress of uh, Mid Atlantic also on the Twitters where we are at Mid Atlantic Show. And the feed, folks, is going to get better because Chris and Mick. Again, I have access to it so they can post things uh, whenever they want. So you won't have to have uh, see my crappy misspelled ungrammatical tweets in future. So start following us there. Also, we are on Facebook, though we're going to change things up there also by having a group. So you can actually talk about things that you want to, as opposed to looking at the diktats that, that I've put. So go on to Facebook in approximately a week's time and there'll be a nice new shiny mid-Atlantic group. Remember... Uh, we are the space on the interweb where we talk about things from the perspective of non-hate. That's what we're all about. See you all again soon. Bye-bye. There you go. That was awesome. Well done, you two. your free trial today come on in the waters lovely look you could meet someone you like during the meteor strike it is that easy lunar service on a saturday night dressed up in silver and white with colored old gray whistle test lights take it easy for a little while come and stay with us It's all getting gentrified
Starlight Express But had a special effects in my mind's eye Okey-cokey with the opposite sex The things you try to forget Doesn't time fly I'm in no position to give advice I don't wanna be nice And you know that Take it easy for a little while Come and stay with us It's such an easy flight Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowl and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowl and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. 
Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.